We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody, welcome back to episode 31. Wow, those numbers, it's just oh, going, going up and up. It's, it's you know, it's, it's quite the feeling to have, but we're back once again for episode 31. I mean, it's a bit of a congested episode log, I guess we can say this week as we're going, you know, back to back on episode 30 and 31 as, uh, you know, again, we'll be, once again, we're joined by Peter Galindo of Sportsnet, obviously, uh, he didn't join us for two separate times. We just split up our, our chat with him into two parts as it, it did went long, but it was a, it was a great chat. We didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to take away from any of it. So here's, you know, before we'll, we'll dive into part part two, it was, you know, it was a good episode. And Sam, I guess, how, how are you feeling ahead of this part two before we, we go into that? Yeah, feeling good. And uh, you know, after really just talking a lot of Canadian men's national team stuff in part one, we're going to continue on that theme in part two, but also, touch on the end a little bit of a little bit of CPL talk and a little bit of white caps talk and just kind of round out our conversation with Peter and uh, yeah enjoy this kind of to, to move on to some formation and definitely lineup talks I think this is definitely at least one I see on, on Twitter I don't there, there's no it's always interesting to see the sort of where people kind of stand on the the whole great lineup debate because there's so many especially with Canada, there's a whole, who do you play at center back? Who do you play in goal? Is Alfonso Davies a left back? Mark Anthony K, this and that. I feel, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, arguments. And I do, for the most part, I, I think I have a good idea of, you know, where you stand on some of them issues, such as, you know, Mark Anthony K, you have been one of his, you know, one of his supporters. Surprisingly, people are, you know, mixed on what he can bring to Canada. So I guess, you know, maybe if we're going to talk about line, Lineups, and I'm curious, you know, hear from both Peter and Sam. I can throw out my my ideas as well. If you're trying to make the best lineup for Canada, I guess first before we go into positions, what formation do you pick? If you're trying to get the best out of this team, you're trying to pick a formation. Is it a three at the back? Is it a four four two like they've tried? Is it a four three three? What do you go with? I guess Peter go first for that Ooh, one. Putting me under pressure. Um, <laughs> I. I feel like I'd still lean 4-3-3 just because that's what the players are used to. Um, but I, I do, I like the idea of a back three. I wouldn't hate it. Like in certain games, like we saw it against Mexico at the gold cup. It wasn't terrible. They did concede a lot of chances in fairness, but uh, I thought structurally it was fine. And I feel like if you got more, more practice with it, even if you just use it in training and, and you're setting up in that system constantly, I feel it could work. But I, I still feel 4-3-3 is the best one just because you know you, you still keep you, you you keep the width I think is, is the big one because if you're playing the 3-5-2 yes you have the wing backs and maybe you have depending on who plays up front someone can drift out someone can drop deep what have you but if you can double up on your players out wide I feel that's great because you can use overlapping runs you can have someone cut inside one keep going whoever it happens to be um, and I just feel, again, the familiarity is, is the one that gives the 4-3-3 the advantage. It's kind of Sam, you know, kind of what are your, your thoughts on the, the formation idea on the spot as well? Yeah, I think I was probably primarily leaning 4-3-3 as well. And, and one of the, well, I guess two factors that I really think about when considering this is one, you know, as Peter pointed out, level of comfort going in, you don't always have you know, the time that you would like to train and, and really hone in the intricacies that, that you're maybe looking for in other formations. And also something I think I'd consider is, you know, what is the easiest way to get your best players on the pitch and just kind of let them, let them do their thing. And so I think the, the more you can throw guys in a forward position and, and let them kind of, you know, run at players and, and take on players one-on-one, -on -one, the better. But I think there's also yeah, there's, a, there's an intrigue to the three slash five at the back because if you really, if you could hone that in and execute it very well, it, it has 
a huge boom factor, but I also think it's got a pretty large bust factor as well. So the, the four, four, three feel, or four, three, three, pardon me, feels a little bit, a little safer and a little more, you know, straightforward, but I, I think there are merits to both at the end of the day. Well, I guess, yeah, to kind of throw my hat into the ring here, I definitely, what's tough is because if you're looking to maximize Canada's strengths, for me, I see huge strengths in the midfield and up front. And I feel like, for example, like, I really liked the 4-4-2 against the U.S. where they had four midfielders on the pitch because it was nice to have that sort of technical ability on the pitch in terms of Azorio, Arfield, Kay, like Piet. It felt like, imagine Ushtaki replacing Piet. That's four quality ball playing midfielders, but at the same time, I like the 4-3-3, what it brings in wide areas. But then I start thinking of a 3-5-2 is putting a third center back on the pitch while also keeping three midfielders and two strikers. Is that a potential compromise point? And I do start to, you know, I do start to wonder on that. And, you know, I, I see Peter, you got something on your mind there with that, with that thought. I don't know. You... <laughs> I really like the 4-4-2 as well. I was about to say, you know what? I completely agree with you. I, I think, I feel like in big games, like if you're playing in those marquee games again, you have to win the midfield battle. It's, it's mm-hmm. crucial that you do. So the 4-4-2 for me is the go-to system in those marquee games. If you want maybe a little more from your attack, then you go 4-3-3 and then you just kind of, I guess you push the limits a little bit in terms of how many players roam, who goes where. Because even in the 4-4-2, you know, you saw Osorio drifting left to help out with the cover of, of uh, Kamal Miller. You saw Scott Arfield drifting right. Um, before he got hurt, Kay was going up and down, but afterwards, he, even Samuel Piet was going up and down. Um, it, it just worked so well with everybody on the pitch. So I, I quite liked it, but I just feel like familiarity-wise, it's still 4-3-3 for me, but I do love the idea of 4-4-2 more often. Mm. Well, I guess kind of, we'll move on. I, I think we'll go first the goalkeeper. I mean, we kind of heard what you had to say for the goalkeeper debate, but We'll, we'll, we'll put you a bit on the spot here and I'll, I'll throw it over to Sam as well after kind of similarly like we did. We'll do that position by position, but you have a game tomorrow, Canada versus, let's say, Mexico, U.S., Costa Rica, Krepor Borian, who's your guy? Put me on the spot, damn. Well, okay, we'll, um, we'll also you know assume what? that Krepo's I, thumb heals magically. Okay, all right, yeah. Let, let's say he didn't get the thumb injury. Let's say everything was fine. Um, only because I feel he does have a bit more match practice. I still would go Crepeau. I honestly would. I would go Crepeau. And, and then not to mention, he's just better on the ball. So, you know, you, you've got another weapon to be able to play out from the back, kind of draw in that high press, pass it out, and then boom, you got them on, on a half break. I guess, Sam, I mean, you know, we've seen, obviously we're a little more familiar with Crepeau, having seen him so much. But yeah, Sam, Crepeau or Borean. Well, I know we touched on this. This is probably like 10 podcasts ago or something now where we talked about this, but I think it's just, yeah, it's time for a a changing of the guard, my view. And yeah, even if, even if you kind of view those two as equals, I think it's, you know, you go with the younger guy, you, you kind of prepare yourself for the, the next 10 years of national team duty. And I think, you know, no time like the present to make that switch and make it kind of a permanent one. Yeah. Well, I think I'm kind of in the similar vein. I want to see Crepo, but at the same time, I feel like, with Borean, it's hard to throw him to the wayside just because of his, you know, his leadership. And when he's on, his shot stuffing is pretty impeccable. And his height, you just can't teach his height and his experience in the air and all that stuff. I just feel, if anything, I'm kind of team, like, rotate them as much. But for a one-game match, I feel like it would depend. I feel like Crepo, if I'm holding the ball, if it's, say, you know, say against the U.S., where they held, they held the ball a bit and they were a bit chicken, you know, a bit chicken scratch at the back. Sometimes a few Borean long balls went astray. I'd want, you know, I'd want Crepo. But again, Mexico, I'd take Borean on. If you know Canada's going to sit back and you, you're going to get pummeled, I like Borean's experience. I know I like what he can bring, but I feel, I feel like the debate should be more open. I feel like Herdman should start to realize the weapon that he has in Crepo because Crepo is, you know, he's shot tested. I've like, God, he's got what, like four years worth of practice in one year with the white caps with all the damn shots he faced last year. And even this year, I think it was something like in 150 minutes, he faced the most XG in the whole tournament. And that's including teams that have played six or seven games. So like, 
like Kreppel's like I feel like Kreppel's ready like god if, if he can deal with being behind some of the dealing with what he's dealt with at the Whitecaps like I feel like playing Honduras and playing Costa Rica or Mexico is going to be like a gonna be like a party for him you know with, with Canada but I guess moving on center backs because I feel like that's where kind of the debate gets spicy because as, as I mentioned earlier in the show Derek Cornelius doesn't get enough love. I'll say it every damn episode of this podcast <laughs> since it's a, you know, it's turned into a Derek Cornelius, you know, f- you know, fan club, but like he doesn't get enough love, but assuming we're playing a two at the back, who are your two guys? Cause we'll make, we'll make it spicy. Obviously you could go three at the back, Cornelius, Henry, Victoria life, our lives are easier, but two at the back, who are you picking? Again, let's say the opponent is a Mexico U S caliber team. Um, I still say stick with Cornelius Vittoria. Um, you've got one more athletic center back. You've got one who's used to staying back and can sweep up everything that comes his way. Um, the game's in front of them. So we saw how they did in October. They were immense. The fact that they didn't stay together in that second U.S. game was a travesty in my eyes. And when Cornelius came on, oh, my God, the defense was magically better. Who would have thought? Um, but anyway, I, I'm right on this train with you, Alex. Don't worry. Like I, Derek Cornelius needs love, 100%. Those would be my two, just for that very specific reason. Familiarity and tactically, they would fit together very well. Sam? Yeah, I mean, I have, to, I have to echo pretty much all of that, especially in big games. I think you want setter backs that, you know, aren't going to give you a heart attack. And I, we, we experienced that a little bit with Yasser Kamiri during MLS's back. It's just like every time the ball's near him, you're just holding your breath like, oh, God, please no. And, and I think, yeah, for the national team, you, you want the same thing, right, where Vittoria and, and Cornelius have, have proven that they can play kind of prototypical – low event confidence inspiring football there at the back and i think you know until proven otherwise that's got that's got to be the pairing you go if you have two at the back there well yes yeah i guess you know to play devil's advocate you could throw you know just a random name out there you could throw someone like dejan yakovich i mean he's been hit or miss with lafc there's been some games i've watched him where he's been like oh he's like he's back and then there's some games where like Oh God, he's not, you know, he's not maybe looking up to the MLS pace, but I just think of that mold of Yakovic, Vittoria, that veteran alongside Cornelius, because Cornelius plays like he's 34, even though he's only 22, he's got that poise. Because I think as I want, I feel like Daniel Henry, that boomer bust can be so big in, in games. And I do feel like talking to Herdman about Henry specifically, you can tell he's like an emotional leader in the dressing room. And sometimes you just need those guys on the pitch sometimes. That's the thing with Borean that it's also troubling. When they're emotional leaders, in inexperienced games, you don't want to discount the importance because someone like Vittoria, he hasn't been in the fold as long as Henry has. Or, you know, he, he's similar with Crepo and Borean. I just feel like that emotional leadership, sometimes it does play its value, especially at the back. But I definitely agree, Vittoria – and Cornelius but if anything I think it's Cornelius and I think the argument should be who's alongside him I think we saw what happens when Cornelius is off the pitch and I think you know it kind of gave us an idea of okay maybe we should just for many reasons Cornelius he might not be the most you know he might not be Paolo Maldini he might not be you know he's not going to be playing 60 yard diagonals but he he's simple at what he does and he's good and you know what I'll plug myself I'm about to drop by the time this podcast is out, it will, it will be out on the website. And Derek Cornelius, his statistical snapshot from MLS is back. Spoiler alert. A lot of what I just said about him is going to be explained in numbers and, you know, that. So check that out if you want to, you know, if you want to join on the Derek Cornelius hype train. But I guess moving out to left back, because I feel like that's fun. Left back, who, who's your guy? I mean, you can say Alfonso Davies. You can say, you know, Sam Adekugbi, Zorhan, Basong, left back. I feel like it's a tough one. Man, man, it, they have options. They're all completely different, I feel, which is what's so difficult. Um, and I'm probably going to have the same issue for right back as well, maybe a bit less. But again, in that caliber of a game, I do want balance. And I feel like, at least from my perspective, the balance would come. This is providing everybody's in form, everybody's on the same fitness level, what have you. I like, I'm pretty much going to carbon copy the October lineup at this point, but Kamal Miller for me is going to be the left back because he's, 
you, you have the ability to keep three players at the back off the ball or sorry, in possession. So if you get countered on, you have still that numerical presence back there. Um, and then if, say, an Oshtaki or a Piet stays deep, you got four, which is, which is solid. Um, he's going to stay deeper, so you've got a bit more protection. Sure, you're going to probably concede that entire flank in terms of who's going to be bombing forward and who's not going to be, but didn't bother them in October, probably won't bother them this time. Um, I just feel like for balance purposes, that's who you have to go with. I'm a big Sam Matakubi guy. I feel like if it was in another situation, that's who you go with. Um, and that should be your go-to attacking left back for every single game, unless for some reason you want to play nine attackers and you want to get Davies in there, put him at left back against, you know, Antigua and Barbuda. I don't care. But in a game that is bigger than that, it's Sam Matakubi if you want to go attacking. It's Kamal Miller if you want to be a little more defensive. Interesting, Sam. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of split here because, in one sense, I'd like to, I'd like to see Sam Adekubi there. In another sense, I'm kind of going, you know, let's let's get all aboard this Alfonso Davies at left back hype train. Like, oh, why, <laughs> why not? You know, I mean, you, you see see the way he plays for Bayern, and and it's a completely different circumstance. And in the past, I've been you know, my mind has been blown when they make that decision. But I think you, you do have attacking players that are, that are growing and growing in potential. And, and you know, it, I think it all comes down to how you use him at that position, right? And I think that's, as much as anything in the past, that's been a big part of why it's just been absolutely torched is because they've used him at left back and not really, you know, kind of dug what they could out of, out of that. And so I think if you can, if you can execute that properly, then, then there's obviously a benefit there, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a meme answer, but I also think it, you know, he's, he's shown how good he can be defensively at Bayern. And, and I've been really, really impressed by that. And it's a, it's a side of his game that we didn't see as much with the white caps. And obviously he's been, you know, trained at a completely different standard there at, in Germany. And so, yeah, you know what? Why not? All aboard the Alfonso Davies, a left back hype train. Honestly, I, I appreciate the chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. It's like, it's, it's tough to, the thing with Davies, and I think th- that, that kind of opens up that whole Davies debate. He's so, it's so tough to think for Canada because at Bayern, he's so good in the high line of just because how fast he is. And like, his positional awareness is incredible. Like the amount of tackles he lunges in and obviously ever since COVID-19 happened, for some reason, the refs just got really mad at him and he got, what was it? Like four yellows in like eight games, despite not getting any yellows in 29 games. But for the most part, his timing is what gets me. Like he'll be running full speed, like 20, 30 kilometers an hour and just stick his foot and he'll never get a foul or a yellow or anything. And, you know, he can get away with that. But then on the other mind, Canada and a, high line is you know it's just like it's poison and a rat it's like you know it's just you know it's water and oil those two things should just not be uttered together unless somehow they go back in time and go tell Fakayo Tamori and hypnotize him and be like okay don't go play 30 you know <laughs> don't go play 10 minutes for England and come to Canada like it just should not happen and I feel like is Alfonso Davies the same player in a low block as a left back we haven't seen enough of that yeah, I mean, to be fair with Canada, his two games where he played, he wasn't a high block and it wasn't effective. So I am, I'm kind of interested to see how that would be having him bomb forward, you know, and kind of, you know, see what he can offer. I do agree with that, but I'm kind of team maybe Sam Adekubi. And my reasoning for it is I'll kind of, I guess, later in a 4-3-3 is I'd want Alfonso Davies ahead of them. And I've kind of been floating this idea semi-jokingly, semi-seriously have them be false wingers and fullbacks. Like if Adekubi goes back, have Davies drop and, you know, use his defensive awareness. And if, you know, just kind of have that interchangeability. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm team Sam Adekubi all the way. But Kamal Miller, always the safe shout. I think he's the kind of guy that if you know, want to know what you're going to get and not have that same boom or bust that Davies or Adekubi offers, I think you go for Miller if you really, really want to take as many variables out of the game as you can. But it also depends. Like, for example, against the U.S. in October, or not October, in November, Kamal Miller should have been on the pitch 100%. And you know why I say that? It's because, you know, Canada needed a draw to go through. In that case, you want the variables to go down. You want to keep the variables. You don't need a goal, for example. You don't need the risk of Adekubi or Davies on the pitch. 
you play Kamal Miller to bring the variables down. But if I'm talking a game where you need to win, I'd bring out a QB or, you know, even go with the chaos. And maybe I wouldn't be full on the Davies chain, but I'd say I'd a QB at left back just to, you know, bring the offensive variables up. But I guess in that sense, we'll switch to the right side because right back, God, how many right backs are there now? I think there's like, there's Cordova, Zachary Bouguiard, Richie Larea, Bassan can play right back. There's Dominic Zator on Cavalry. Like, poof. Where do, you, where do you go if you're picking from one of the many right-backs Canada has? Just because I said Miller as my left-back, I'd probably still stick with Larea. Um, I just think he gives you more – he gives you a lot going forward. He's, he's fearless, courageous, getting into the box. I think he combines well, and I'll do the same thing that you did, Alex, but kind of give away who my right-winger might be. And um, I feel like him and, and Junior Hoylette really combined nicely. They really did well in that Cuba game that – BMO field last September. Um, I know it's just Cuba, but you could see the, you, you could see the chemistry there and the familiarity there. And I think if you're going to have one more reserved left back, might as well have someone who can run up and down the pitch constantly. Um, just as a side note though, the Sam Atacubi, Alfonso Davies thing. I really want to see that in more games because they clearly have chemistry. The fact they haven't been able to play together more is a travesty. And also, I'll throw this out there. I just thought of this. If Christian Gutierrez keeps playing the way he is, he's my guy. Yeah. He's my guy. I, I thought he was really balanced. And I think if he can get – if Canada can convince him to play, he's my guy if he keeps playing like he did at MLS's back. But I'm just putting that out there. But, yeah, Sam, right back? Well, yeah, to kind of continue to lean into to Team Chaos here a little bit, yes. I'm going to go with Larea as well, just because I think, uh, you know, first of all, it's like, let's just go full bore, full attack here. We're, we're going out guns blazing. But also, I think his performances, you know, in the most recent national teams matches we've seen have really, it, they're deserving of some more, some more time and some more starts because I, I think I've been really impressed with what he had to offer. And, and yeah, I think if you're, let's just lean into this exciting all-out attack style team. And, and so Larea is going to be my choice there. Well, I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go against the grain here. I'm going Zachary Bouguia. I don't know what it was, but those five games he played under Cherry Henry at the beginning of the year, and even the one he started this year at MLS's back before yanking out his hammy, I thought he was excellent. In that. I mean, obviously he was a three at the back, but there are questions with him defensively, and you know maybe he's not the same intensity of player as Larea. Again, Larea strikes me as one of those guys that's going to be one of Canada's emotional leaders, just because. He's, he just, he's so feisty and he's so Canadian. I, I do love that about him. But I feel exactly, you know, he's just such a technical right back in the runs that he makes. There's something, he just makes these really unique underlapping runs that I feel like would complement someone like, for me, who my right wing would probably be is someone like Jonathan David, just because he can, you know, I feel like David's someone who's really fluid on the right wing. He kind of cuts in and he cuts out. And then ZBG, surprisingly, he has that. You look at some of his assists he's played for Montreal in his balls. They're not always from right back like Larea, who, who, who likes to run in the overlapping channels. He really likes to, I think of that one last year to lap a line. And I think it was where he cut in and he played a diagonal ball right across the box like a midfielder. I think ZBG brings a unique brand of right back that we're not typically used to seeing. I feel like he could be a certainly a shout, you know, for, you know, for, for Canada at right back, but I guess to kind of pivot into the midfield, if, if you're going into a 4-3-3, I guess you can just say all three and explain if it's a double pivot, a single pivot, a three, a flat three, or, you know, what, what, not it, what have it. Well, now I'm going to join team chaos here. Um, so Eustachio <laughs> is my number six for the reasons I've stated a couple times already. Um, 110%, one of the undroppable players who should be starting every single game that he's available, even if he's on one leg. I don't care. Mark Anthony Kay is just in front of him. They can do a double pivot. I, I feel having Kay, you know, dropping deep and then going forward, being more box-to-box might be his strong suit because he's quite influential in the final third. And, like, his – every metric you look at, expected buildup, his, his progressive passes, his key passes, everything – are ridiculous for someone who's supposed to be a number eight. It's, like, it, it's insane what, what he does. Um, so you have to put him in there next to an Oshakio. And then as a bit of a wrinkle, 
this may not end up looking kind of 4-3-3-ish, but there are technically three midfielders. I'm putting Jonathan David in the midfield as the most advanced guy. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. You Team need, Dallas. like, again, he can join up with whoever plays up front. Um, he can, he will drop deep into the midfield and help you defensively. Um, he's, he's very active. And I mentioned this in the, in the recap of this season. He's, he's such an all around complete player. It's almost difficult to kind of analyze him statistically in a way. So I would love to see him play in that midfield, especially if the team you're going up against, I, mean, I assume the U S will do this again, but they're going to set up in that mid to low block and the way Jonathan David can play through it, provided his teammates are obviously in sync with him, that could work very, very nicely. So those three for me. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, yeah, Sam, midfield three. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going for, I'm going for a bit of a, a bit of an MLS Homer take here. And we're going to, all three of my midfielders are going to be MLS products. And so, I think the one that maybe maybe would be surprising, especially given some of the things I've said on the podcast previously, is Russell Tybert's going to be my kind of my Ooh. anchor in midfield. And and part of this is because I've chosen backs that I, I, I'm going to allow them to scamper up the pitch. And Russell Tybert's always going to put in the work defensively. You know, uh, keep keep things kind of calm there in front of those. I think you've got with the two center backs and then kind of a guy playing playing defensive center mid you've got a real solid spine to your team there and then you know kind of at the at the right and left mid positions I got Mark Anthony K which you know completely agree with Peter there he needs to be out there even if he's on one leg and then Jonathan Osorio on the other side I think it's just I'm looking for a the way I'm kind of building this hypothetical team looking for a very very athletic team that's gonna gonna be able to run and gonna be able to you know really kind of demoralize opponents from a from a physicality and athleticism perspective and i think those three in the midfield you know pose pose a good threat there that's interesting i don't know peter you got anything to, to say on that i feel like uh <laughs> man you know what the, the, the more I think about it, like i've only been thinking about it for literally 60 seconds but the more i think about tybert in that role given the personnel that sam put in there i actually don't hate it like if you have two marauding threats you know, we saw it at MLS's back, even in the 1,000% humidity, Russell Tybert is going to run his butt off no matter what. He'll cover tons of ground. So he can kind of end up being that pseudo third center back that you have as cover. And like the way, the way I'm imagining it is Russell Tybert's the guy like – a ship's got a bunch of holes in it and he's running around sticking duct tape back and forth. Oh, yeah. Like when there's a gap to fill, he's there to fill it. <laughs> like, I, I don't hate it. I really don't. I maybe, maybe I wouldn't go with it, but like in, it, it's actually a, a decent option to have because we've seen him play as more of an eight for Canada. Why not play as a six if you need to, in, in this case, just destroy. It's, it's tough. Cause I want to like scream and argue, but and I'm happy you're going for the devil's advocate and taking out this unique, but it's not, it's not bad. That's the thing that's like, it's like, it's just killing me. Like, why is the idea of Russell Tybert starting for Canada not as absurd as it should be? I mean, that's the thing with Tybert though. That's why I like him a lot as a player is just how I just, I don't know. There's something appealing to me about a player who will literally run until his legs are stumps and he'll just like, I just liked how MLS is back. He played pretty much every minute of every game in like 40 degree heat. And he looked no worse for wear in the 90th minute of sporting KC than he did in the first minute against San Jose. So like, you know what, Sam, for like going down to CONCACAF and you're playing in those 40 degree, like heat. I feel like Russell Tybert, the thing is it's, it's tough for me just because how much quality Canada has in the midfield. And it's tough to include him based on that. But I feel like, you're not wrong in throwing, use, like putting his name out as an option, even on the bench. And that's the thing. It's going to be tough to include him in the squad just because, again, it's hard optics-wise to leave a guy, you know, I don't know who would be left out in this case for Tybert, but it's tough to leave some of the guys they have at home. But I feel like Tybert should be there just because of the, like, the uniqueness he brings. And I'd rather they only bring one right back and bring Russell Tybert than – you know, I, I feel like that, that's, that's actually such an interesting point. And I feel like it would be an interesting debate to have. And obviously some Canon and T fans may slate your head off once they hear that take because, 
you know, they're not, there's not, there's some Russell Tybert fans, well, not fan, but people out East who aren't exactly big fans of him, but you know, I, you know, I don't hate it, but you know, if I'm going to throw out my three, I think Mark Anthony K is, he's my guy. I, I, I remember I've put out a few, you know, a few tweets and I've and articles, whatnot. Mark Anthony K is my guy. You know, he's candid. I want him to go to Europe so, so bad just because he was, what he could bring to a European team and what he could bring to Canada in that sort of environment would be huge. But my number six, you know, it's tough to say. I, obviously, I'd go, if he's available, I'd go for Hutchinson just to have that veteran body on the park. But if not, you know, I do, it's a coin toss between Ustakio and Piet for me. I do like Ustakio's two-way game, but I just like Piet's like, you know, just chaotic nature. But I'd probably go Ustakio and then my number 10 would be, would be our field just because he plays like a 10, but he plays like an eight. And I like having that extra body in the midfield and his veteran. He's 30, like what, 32 now, 33. And he's got the body of like a 26 year old still. So I just like what our field brings. So that would kind of be my, my three, but it, it is interesting that we all have different options is I think we all went for K, but you know, we have different options as who our sixes and, and tens can be, but moving forward, the front three, who do you, who do you go for Peter? Front three trying to all score right. goals. Man, okay, so I kind of gave it away a little bit, but Junior Hoylet on the right, um, chemistry with Lorea, um, having what is sort of a he, – he's a weird kind of winger in a way because he is very good as a right winger, but he can also cut inside and kind of do some creative things centrally too. So I feel him and David could kind of work off each other, same with whoever the number nine is. Um, as for who plays number nine – I, I still go Lucas Cavallini. Um, I think, you know, people look at him, they, they look at his body type and they look at how he plays at times, just maybe through clips and whatnot. And they see someone who's kind of this big lumbering target man. I feel he's so much more complete than that. Like he's so crucial in the buildup and, you know, he will press, he will harass defenders when he needs to. He's obviously got a very good scoring touch. Um, every year that he was in, in Mexico with Puebla, he was outperforming his XG basically every time, but it's because he always took high quality shots and he was so clinical. Um, and if you can do that over multiple years, then you're not necessarily overperforming anymore. That's just who you are. Uh, FYI, Jonathan David did the same thing. He overperformed two years in a row. No one's really talking about that as, you know, oh, he's overperforming. This is gonna, he's going to decline. No, because that's just who he is. Um, so I feel in all those areas, he can offer you a lot. Um, and then on the left, you got to go Alfonso Davies. Um, you know, if, if it was Sam Atacubi starting, I would love to see both of them playing together, combining on the wing, having one of them go inside. But even as it is, I, I think that it, it would be quite a lethal front three to have. And then if David pushes up on occasion to combine with those guys, even better. All right. Yeah, Sam, it's... Yeah, so I'm gonna have I'm gonna have Hoylet on the on the right for for similar reasons to Peter. We're gonna have Jonathan David on the left, and then to you know complete the the memeiness and, and and kind of you know shit disturbing nature of this squad. We're gonna throw Kyle Laren in up front, and I think you know we're gonna kind of employ the where our opponents down tactic. Where I think a guy like Lucas Cavallini, even though you know he's a hundred percent starting caliber, his clinical nature i think coming on in the 65th minute it's when you need a goal you play an innocent little ball into the box and you know he takes it down and slots it into the bottom corner and so i think you kind of if, if you're pulling a mark dos santos at mls's back you kind of employ the you know hold our in your back and and then all of a sudden unleash him with fresh legs and, and see what you can do there after kind of wearing down the opponent. So that's going to be my starting three. Well, what I'll give for you there, Sam, is I like the idea of David playing on the left with Davies on the behind him as a left back, just because obviously there's a whole, we have to see how Davies performs it defensively. But I do like the idea of David cutting in and playing like a second striker and Davies overlapping him. So that isn't like, tactically there is it makes sense you know obviously it depends the whole whole goal of this was to do something entirely different than what we normally and like just to go down this road of okay we're going to you know throw a hand grenade into the room and just do something completely different and kind of in theory see how and think about how that might work well it's, it's not the thing is it's like 
obviously Davies at left back. It's such a hot take. And I feel like I have given up on Davies at left back for Canada, but like, at least in this sense, and I assume we're playing a low block here. I think I don't, I didn't like, we didn't say it, but I feel like all three of us are probably going to play a low block from what I've heard and what I know from what the other, the others have said, but Davies in a low block in a formation like that, I, it makes a little more sense to me than Davies in a high line against Haiti, where I'm pretty sure I know like, a few, you know, when I was writing my preview for the game, one thing I, I cautioned was like Haiti's front three is like their biggest strength and they're really fast. Like the last thing you want to do is lose the fullback battle and play a high line and Canada went out and lost the fullback battle and played a high line. So, you know, it, it's not like, it doesn't sound stupid to me to play, you know, the, the idea of playing Davies in a low, in a low block side, I think a Costa Rica a team that's really technically skilled, but they don't, you know, obviously Joel Campbell just hasn't been good for a while. And he's kind of the only guy to think of, okay, there's a pacey guy on Costa Rica who can make a difference. Most of their attackers are technical, slower attackers who, you know, they're dangerous in their own right, but they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be destroying you on the wing as kind of like a Duckins Nazan or a Derek Etchan Jr. did to, to Canada. So I think, you know, against a Costa Rica, a Davies and a left back in a low line isn't as, far-fetched as it sounds I'll, I'll give you that but you know to kind of round off my front three I'm going Davies at left wing for obvious reasons David on the right just because I like how fluid he is and that partnership with ZBG and my hypothetical team I feel like would be very unique and underrated as a partnership and I'm going Kyle Lahren up top just because he needs to start to be engaged he strikes me as the kind of guy who comes off the bench and just kind of lumbers around and is kind of lost and then whereas Cavallini I bring him on 60th minute He's his intent. Like I'd like to start Cavalini's intensity to tire down the defenders and bring on Laren, but I just feel like Laren won't be engaged in that case. So I want Laren engaged from the start. You bring on Cavalini. The defenders have already dealt with the six foot four behemoth for sixty minutes, and this, you know, this five foot eleven pit bull comes in and running at your legs. It's going to drive them absolutely crazy. So I'm going, you know, like that, and I'm bringing on Laren, and I'm bringing, I'm not Laren, I'm bringing on Cavalini and Hoylet as soon as the the options available and heck who knows if we have five subs I don't mind after 60 minutes bringing on a, Z- a Larea for ZBG or you know like using for example if the fullbacks are being really active not being scared to sub them off because I feel like Canada can you know long gone are the days of Nick Ledgerwood and Daniel Henry being your two fullbacks for Canada I feel like Canada's fullback depth is underappreciated and I feel like if for example if the world applies this five sub rule use that to their advantage. That's all I'll say. But, you know, that's, that's our lineup. So I think that's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm very, it's interesting to see where we, we kind of diverge there in the, in the talk, at least, especially Sam, that lineup, lineup is. <laughs> I love it personally. You weren't wrong. Chaos 100% is, is the theme of that lineup. <laughs> but yeah, I guess kind of Canada talk. I mean, that's pretty much all we have for Canada talk. Maybe the last one before, we can quickly round off with some, you know, MLS, it's like white caps and MLS talks. I do, do want to hear some of your takes on, I'm definitely Sam as well. I'm kind of the white caps and MLS is back, but U23 is Olympic team. I feel like that's also one thing we talked, we didn't talk about it earlier, but we're talking about a young group wanting to grow huge opportunity for Canada and trying to make the U23. Obviously who knows who's favorites at this point, because Mexico, they, they churn out U23 prospects in Liga MX kind of like, you know, it's like a factory. And, but the U.S., we don't know. They, they look surprisingly weak in some positions. You know, Costa Rica, God, we never know what Costa Rica is up to for U23 players with their league and whatnot. And, you, think, you know, do you think Canada has a chance at making the Olympics, especially that they've been given this year extension, giving players in the CPL and the MLS chance to get more minutes while, you know, even if they've gone over the age cap? I think that the fact that you do have the CPL obviously giving the chances to these young guys, giving them the minutes to be able to stay in form. I think that's huge because that's one of the, I think reasons why Canada at the youth levels, basically U 20 and up haven't maybe been able to make the impact that say a Mexico or you maybe not so much us because they haven't made the Olympics recently, but Honduras, Costa Rica, countries like that have been able to make is because they get the minutes in their local leagues and for Canada, that's massive. Um, you know, even someone like, and I mean, I'm like, you can pick out so many names, but even if you just look at certain positions that Canada is lacking in, if you want to see someone like, uh, 
I don't know, like let's say a D, a Dean Abzi, or I mean, he's not under 23, but Dominic Zator, as you mentioned, Alex, like if you want to see someone like that break through, that's great because that adds more depth to positions of need possibly. Um, you would have maybe, you know, maybe even like a Caden Chung or we obviously saw him get a call up, but Amir Didich. Uh, I would love to see Noah Verhoeven really make strides. I think he's one of the uh, Verhoeven, you know, the, uh, I, I, yeah, Noah Verhoeven, the, the, not Zachary Verhoeven. I thought they had the same first name too, for some reason. Anyway. It is, I think it's Noah Verhoeven and Zachary Verhoeven to help see. a bit okay. of the change because yeah, okay. one got more of a Dutch name, but yeah, no, I get yeah. what you're going with. Yeah. There. But that, like, I would love to see him also get an opportunity with the under 23s and really show what he's about. I think he's one of the more exciting young players in the league. Um, so the, the fact that you have the CPL giving opportunities to these guys and Eastern Ongaro too, you, like look for him to make a stride and same with Teron Campbell. Um, guys like that, the fact that they're getting minutes is great and that should help Canada's chances of qualifying for the Olympics too. Well, I guess kind of to throw out this thought too, because I was kind of thinking about, you know, if they do make the Olympics, I mean, obviously we don't know because I feel like it'll impact qualifiers because, you know, who knows who'll be available because someone like Tristan Borges would have been available last year, but if he's playing in the first division and the windows don't line up, he's not going to play for example, and you think Davies and David, David, I'd put like a 1% chance on them playing in qualifiers at least, you know, and, but say theoretically they get the, the, you know, they get the bounces they need, they get the results they need, they go to the Olympics next year. What do you do? Because this year would have been perfect. 2020, the fixture list is empty. It would have been good preparation for qualifiers in the fall. Now, next year, there's a gold cup in late July too, because they, they moved it back later. And then the Olympics are usually, you know, late July and August as well. How do you balance that? Because I know clubs, if you're already going to have to beg for your, for them to get some players in the gold cup, like, you know, how do you balance it? Do you do, as you say, put a B team in the gold cup and put, you know, all your best youngsters in the Olympics. Do you convince Bayern to let Davies and God knows where David will be next year, whoever, if it's Lille or if he somehow goes to the Bundesliga or heck you, well, Leeds, I don't think that, that's going to happen, but you convince his club to let them in the Olympics and, you know, what do you do if that ends up happening and you have this fixture congestion of two tournaments that would be huge for Canada to get experience in, but, you know, I don't know if they'll have the manpower to, to you know, to put in both, both boxes. Well, I think that's where the, you know, giving the chances to these young guys to show what they can do for the 2026 cycle comes in handy. You know, you give, d- depending on how much priority you put into the Olympics and that gold cup, I feel you probably put more priority in, into, the, into the Olympics. So you probably take your best under 23 players and put them there um, and then see how they do. And then you maybe take more of a B team to the gold cup or, you know, you take some of your usual starters on the national team and take them to the gold cup, maybe with the exception of the two or three overage guys. But I feel that's what you would have to do. And that would be in a way a blessing in disguise. Cause then you can see what some of those players can do in high pressure situations. You get one more platform to be able to show these players, Hey, this is what you can do now take the opportunity and run with it. I just wanted to kind of follow up there. We, we touched on the CPL a bit briefly, but in terms of, you know, those young guys potentially getting minutes and a lot of them, you know, kind of honing their trade in the CPL, Peter, what do you think is the term, like the say year and a half, two year outlook for a lot of these players, given the fact that yes, the CPL is playing this season, but it's, you know, for a lot of these guys going to be a much, much smaller sample size than they were probably hoping for like does that is that something we're looking back at two or three years from now and saying that it's maybe you know had long-term implications on the development of the national team as well Uh, it's possible i think um it's still depending on who obviously gets to the final you're still playing a decent sample size Mm -hmm. 10 10 12 13 games um so that would be like what almost half a season uh regular season at least so It's not entirely detrimental. I think it's just important that they're getting games in at all. Um, I'm sure some of these players, and and I can probably almost say for certain, they do have some interest from abroad, certainly. Um, And however they perform at this tournament, it probably will maybe force some clubs to say, all right, let's pull the trigger on this one or let's pull the trigger on that one. So I I feel like development-wise, it won't hurt too much. Maybe the long break between the end of the tournament getting into the next season might be a bit harmful, but that's also why the league is looking at loaning some of these guys out so that the gap isn't as daunting. 
That's interesting though. You think that in terms of guys potentially getting transfers, you know, to somewhere in Europe or somewhere else in the world that actually this shorter format could kind of force the issue and have some clubs go, Hey, if we like the way this guy performed, let's act now. Yeah. And I think also the fact that the pandemic is, is driving values down, it's driving wages down. These guys would obviously come in on very affordable wages and on a transfer fee as well, depending on what their contract situation is. Um, so that could also help them as well. Like if say, and I'm just taking a random example here, but let's say Teron Campbell comes out and scores six goals in seven games, gets specific into, into the knockout stage. They make a run or not the knockout stage, the second group stage, they make a run. He gets another couple goals there. Team's like, Oh, that's interesting. And then they look at what he did last year and like, Oh, okay. Kind of matches up. And then maybe they end up saying, all right, let's bring him in and, and see what he can do. Like, it's very, very possible that that's one of the benefits to the smaller format the the pandemic itself and the pandemic influence market you know that's it's interesting you talk about the market too and i'm kind of at least personally i'm curious to see what happens at mls's back because i know from white caps there has been european interest in say theo bear and certainly after this tournament i'd have to imagine thomas Hassall too i mean heck there were scouts from god did you see the list of scouts i think it was juventus munch and glad but obviously they're all looking at guys like Ar- brandon aronson but you know, obviously they're looking at these kinds of guys with what Davies has done and David has done. They know what Canada and the U.S. can do. Do you think this pandemic market may prove to be a blessing in disguise for Canadians? Because I think someone like Mark Anthony Kay, who should move to Europe, all of a sudden does him for three or four million look a lot more attractive to a pandemic-stricken team that doesn't want to pay 10 or 15 million for his European equivalent, as they might usually have. Do you think we might see a swath of Canadians move abroad after MLS is back in CPL and Island games after this, just due to financial, like seeing, a, you know, even I think like for an MLS team, seeing a guy like Waterman, what, what did he cost? 50 K. And he's been, he was, he was really good for impact in his games. Do you think this might see this upward trajectory that will end up benefiting the national team? I, I would say so again, any national team that's kind of outside of your usual suspects. Um, but even in some cases in the United States, you're seeing, uh, Mark McKenzie getting linked to Celtic for a million pounds. That, that's nothing for, for someone who's, who's quite a solid young defender at 21. You've got great resale value there, buying him for just a million pounds. Um, but for someone like a Mark Anthony Kay, like he would, he's still 25 years old. He'll be 26 in December. That's not particularly up there in terms of age. He can still give you five or six more quality years overseas. And there were rumors, I think, before they made their they're starting the Premier League that Sheffield United was kind of sniffing around and looking at them. Um, and given how they play, that could have been actually quite a nice fit. So I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if, if more teams come in for him. Um, but yeah, for, for sure. I think the fact that you're going to be seeing teams trying to cut back a bit, that could help some of these, you know, even outside of the price ranges of a Davies or a David or, or whoever, you know, Lucas Cavallini costs the Whitecaps quite a bit of money too. But even outside of that bracket, there could be some really good players to get, whether that's in MLS or that's in the CPL. It's kind of to round it off. I feel like, you know, as we wrap up the show here, you know, we talk about MLS's back and we could, you know, maybe talk, talk a bit about the young Canadians. Obviously, I mentioned Hassal, Bear, obviously TFC. They don't, you know, typically from a Canadian perspective, you can, you know, you, you can't criticize the results, but maybe you can criticize the the lack of young Canadians that sometimes go through their fold. Cough, cough, Liam Fraser. But, you know, they still gave minutes to Jaden Nelson and, you know, Jacob Schaffelberg. I think he got a few minutes. Obviously, Io Akinola, God, we thought, that's a whole other debate to talk about. And impact, you know, if, from your perspective, since you did got, get to watch most of the three teams, at least, you know, obviously I watched all the Whitecaps games. I didn't maybe catch as many TFC games or impact games as I hoped you know, who are some of the young Canadians that you're excited for after this tournament? Heck, even guys who are playing elsewhere, like someone like Tage and Buchanan on, you know, on, on New England Revolution. Were there any guys who really stood out and maybe now you were kind of on the bubble about them and now you see, oh, I want this, I think this guy can play in the national team or I think this can, guy is going to be a huge asset for Olympic qualifiers? Uh, Buchanan was one of them, for sure. Um, he looked, and he was playing on either wing as well, which was interesting. So he has some flexibility there. Um, he could be an intriguing option. You, you mentioned him as well, Alex Brogiar. I thought he looked 
Certainly defensively, he was a little bit susceptible, but I thought the runs that he was making going forward and the passes he was making, as soon as he got involved in the attack, which wasn't always the case in some of Montreal's games, the game changed for them immediately, certainly offensively. Um, like he's a weapon for them. And the fact that he wasn't being used, certainly in the first half against, I think it was DC United, um, and then also against Toronto FC, was a travesty in my eyes. So once that changed, the game changed. Um, but then obviously, yeah, Io Akinola, whoever he happens to go to, whether it's Nigeria, the U.S., Canada, I don't know, um, obviously a standout. Um, but you also give credit to Thomas Assal for stepping into a tough situation in Vancouver and facing 17 million shots and, and even saving a penalty in the shootout to give the Whitecaps a little bit of hope against Kansas City. Um, Look, it, it's two and a bit games. You don't want to get too carried away. You don't want this to turn into a Marco Carducci situation, although he's already gotten more minutes than Carducci did in Vancouver. But uh, you, you kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit. But if he can keep getting more minutes and maybe even show that he can be a capable backup to Crepo, um, then I, I think this, is, this has been a successful tournament in his eyes for sure. And I guess the, well, the last player I'll have before, I, I'll, I'll pass the mic to you, Sam. I just want to put him out there because we, we do talk about a lot Theo Bear you know kind of what are your thoughts on him because I know Sam and I we felt he's constantly been maybe undervalued you know maybe underplayed at times what are your thoughts on Theo Bear from especially I'm more curious from that outsider perspective from what you've seen more of a fire you know maybe you're not on the ground as much you know obviously we see him in training we see what he can do but from afar what are your thoughts on Theo Bear? I, I really like Theo Bear a lot um, and I remember when he was coming through the, the youth national teams and also the, the academy as well, um, you know, there were talks about, oh, you know, look at his goal scoring record in the academy, look at this, look at that. But then you look at the size of him and you think, okay, well, you got to take that with a grain of salt because he can maybe outmuscle more defenders at this age and he can really take advantage of his, of his body in that regard. Um, but as soon as he started to get a run of games for Vancouver last year, like the, the, the kid's poise is, 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 incredible to me um much better on the ball than i thought he would be in terms of the build-up um pretty intelligent when it comes to finding that space and getting into positions to score um still very strong as well which is which is encouraging to see because sometimes you see players who are so used to just overpowering their opponents at a young age um the fact that he's able to translate that into the professional game and with the first team is is very encouraging um, I would like to see him get more, more of a run when it comes to just playing more consistently and maybe playing with like a set, a set partner or just a set trio, depending on how he plays. I think he could play really well with another forward, whether that's a Jordi Reina type who's kind of used to playing off of somebody like Theo Bear. I feel like that's where Reina in his career has done very, very well, um, is playing off of somebody in that Bear mold. Um, so that could be very advantageous for him. Um, and, and Bear, when you look at the overall like underlying numbers, he's like considering that he played for the Vancouver Freakin' Whitecaps, one of the worst teams in the league last year. Um, like XG wise, he wasn't really that bad either. I think he averaged like something like around 0.4 expected goals per 90 minutes. Like that's that's not too shabby really. And if, if you give him a run of games, um, he shows he can get into those positions, then I feel you can maybe get a proper judgment on him after he gets another run here in 2020, provided the regular season comes back and he gets those chances. Yeah, and so the, the last question I had for you, Peter, kind of a, a Whitecaps specific one, and I know when uh, the Whitecaps first acquired Christian Dahomey, I think uh, you were you're right out on Twitter kind of saying this is, you know, this is not like you're, I think a lot of people in North America and maybe just through like Vancouver's experience, they see a diminutive South American winger and they get a very specific image in mind. And you were kind of trumpeting right away. This is, you know, Dahomey is a different type of player. And we've kind of been, you know, sharing that same message from what we've seen and, you know, what we'd heard prior to him even joining, but just maybe a word on, on, yeah, what, what you know of Dahomey, you know, back from his time in South America, and then also what you've seen from him playing that kind of different winger role that Mark Dos Santos tends to look for as opposed to that out-and-out, take-on-a-man, one-on-one type that we're, we're maybe kind of more used to thinking about. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's why Dos Santos wanted him because he can cut inside and influence games that way. And that's, that was very his MO in, in South America. Like he was, he was, and, and kind of to keep going with the theme of chaos, like he was a chaotic player. He just, he constantly looked for that killer through ball. Like if you look at, you know, Bruno Fernandez or Hakim Ziyech or whoever you, you want to think of in that mold, that is kind of who Dahome mimicked in a way because he was constantly looking for that through ball, constantly trying to, to take shots and, and just do everything he could to progress the ball forward. You haven't always seen that, I feel, in Vancouver. That probably has to do with, obviously, the, the long layoff and then the fact he's played either out wide or up front in a, in a partnership. Um, but that's, that's who he is. I feel like if you give him a, a proper run of games and he's starting with a Cavallini type and you have all the starters there and, and you're playing in more of a set system because I feel like there were times when they didn't know how they wanted to set up, um, he could be a very influential player for Vancouver. I think pretty much on that. No, that's, that's it's pretty much all we, we, we've got here. I mean, that was, a, that was a loaded episode, but it was definitely a, definitely a pleasure to have you on. So I guess kind of before you go, just shout yourself out, give yourself the, the links for people who, you know, where to find your work and whatnot. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at GalindoPW. Uh, my work's all over sportsnet.ca. That's usually where it is. Um, I'm going to continue the Canadians Abroad season recaps on my personal site, uh, which is petergalindo.wordpress.com, but I'll tweet out the links on my Twitter as well. The next one's Turkey, where I'm going to be look at, looking at the ageless wonder known as Atiba Hutchinson, as well as Ferdi Kadioglu, who is eligible for Canada, but is also eligible for Turkey and the Netherlands. Number 10, very good. You will see more eventually. And also hashtag clone Atiba Hutchinson, as we will find out in the recap. <laughs> Oh, well, yes. On that note, it was yeah, it was a pleasure to to have you, and uh, you know, we'll we'll definitely we'll we love to have you on again sometime. You know, especially chatting Canada, or, you know, South American soccer, MLS. Be have it be. You know, we'll definitely uh, be a pleasure to have you on in the future. And I think it was a it was a good episode, or maybe episodes at this point. It might even get split into two, but we will figure that out after. But it was you know, it was great to have you. So yeah, on that note, we'll. We'll, we'll we'll wrap things up here. We'll we'll we'll, we'll Sam and I will outro ourselves, I guess, after. But yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Peter. It's a pleasure to have Cheers, you. Cheers, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it. That was the entirety of our of our chat with uh, with Peter Galindo from Sportsnet, who once again very generous with this time to come join us and talk. You know, talk soccer. He's definitely. Shout out to Peter. He's just one of the more down to earth, you know, guys in, in the Canadian soccer landscape. He's just always, he's always super nice, always super active on Twitter. You know, I had the chance to meet him in person for the first time last year when I was at in Toronto for the Canada. Well, you know, studying, I went to the Canada Cuba games and he ended up being very, you know, very down and very just nice and, you know, chatted to me about some of my work. And I was like, Oh, that was awesome that he'd taken the time to read it. And, very, he's always very, very down to earth. So for that, shout out to, to Peter. And it's always a pleasure to have him on. We'll definitely have him on in the future because I'm sure we're, there's some more interesting discussions to have with him. Yeah, I just want to really echo that. Thank you to, to Peter for coming on. And he's one of those guys that when he says something, whether it's about the men's national team, whether it's about the Whitecaps, TFC, doesn't really matter. It's, it's an opinion that I stop and, and listen to because he usually not only has something interesting, but you know, often something kind of unique to say doesn't just doesn't just go with whatever the conventional wisdom is. He's thinking about things analytically and really kind of breaking down the game for himself. So yeah, if you're not giving him a follow on Twitter already, you're definitely missing out. And uh, I'd highly recommend doing that, especially if you enjoyed the the conversation that we had with him. Well, it's it's also good just to have some of those analytical names because you know, in the I especially think from a Whitecaps perspective, just it was very helpful to have him on, on Twitter during the off season when the Whitecaps would sign someone like Leonard Owusu and playing for Ashdod in Israel. And everyone's like, who, what are we where, what? Like, and like, how, how are we supposed to feel? And he'd have these very useful, you know, radars at the, at the, at the ready, giving us an idea. Okay. He plays a lot of progressive passes and he plays a lot of, you know, he's a good at this and a good at that. And it, it really helps you kind of put it in context. And, you know, obviously, maybe you'd like a little, you know, 
it's hard to judge a player, you know, you haven't seen his, his full games, but I just think getting that statistical snapshot and often he'd post little videos and, you know, you, you just, it help you understand a little more about some of these unknown players. And I think that was definitely a help for a lot of us. So, you know, again, in the off season and whatnot, having that sort of analytics, you know, I think as someone myself, who's very interested in stats and analytics, I think it's very interesting to see the work he does and, you know, try to learn from it or, you know, use it to, to argue my points or, you know, even argue against him if he's got points that I don't always agree with because, you know, even as we saw today with in the in the lineup debate, there's never there's never a full consensus. And I think that's the beauty of soccer. You can argue very many things. You can argue that Russell Tybert's a can MNT starting midfielder and not sound completely off, you know, just completely off of it. So that's all it's always fun to have those sorts of debates with numbers and whatnot because again, numbers they don't lie, but you can also, when you present them in certain ways, you can really tell a good story. And he's done a good job of doing that. Well, and that's, I was actually kind of a perfect transition to what I was going to say that, you know, I think we all really enjoy and appreciate analytics, but at the same time, it, it's important that it's presented in a way that kind of blends the eye test and what you see on the pitch with numbers. And I think people that are, yeah, I really appreciate people like Peter that are very good at showing both sides what you see just watching a match versus how that matches up with some underlying statistics. And so that's, it's just, it's so helpful in kind of augmenting and, and often kind of confirming the ideas you have when you watch a match, you can go and you can look and, and see if your instincts kind of match the statistical trends. And I think, you know, Peter does a really good job of that as do you Alex and all your written work. And so that's, it's always a way to, to learn and get better and become more knowledgeable about the game. Well, it's exactly. We all, I think we're all, especially in the white caps, I think shout out to the white caps community because even guys like, you know, JJ Adams, you know, we've had, we had him on, I think episode 21 for traditional print media. He loves to throw his expected goals as heat maps and you know, shout out for him to him for that, because I feel like traditional media, they stray away from some of that sort of analytics and, you know, you, you as well, Sam, and you know, some of your, fellow writers at 86 forever, you know, across the board, people on Whitecaps Twitter are pretty numbers savvy and expected goals savvy and all that heat map savvy. And I think we're, we're lucky to have that sort of debate because sometimes in, you know, soccer, especially the traditionalists, they might not do that as much. So I do, I do think we're lucky because it's nice to have that sort of informed arguments with people. It feels like, you know, sometimes you argue with people and I just want to, I'll use one example. I won't play, use the person's name, but I got into a huge argument with the guy on Twitter once because he suggested that Mark Anthony K was the best or no, he used a Mark Anthony K to compare to Michael Bradley and Mark, Michael Bradley's a six and K's an out and out like pure eight, as we kind of talked about. And he was saying, Oh, look, K loses the ball more than Bradley. Bradley's better. And I just got, and I was just like, no, that's just, that's just poor statistical analysis. Like, context matters yeah you, you know k is an eight he sees the ball more in dangerous positions so therefore he loses the ball more and it was just a huge take, takes greater risks when on the ball yeah it was just a huge argument i think we're lucky in vancouver that we don't have that very often i think our nuanced debates are more like i appreciate your viewpoint but this is why i think it's wrong it's less this is just so wrong that i want to bang my head against the wall i do like the nuance that we have in our in our statistical debate. So again, I'll shout out Vancouver for that. You know, we're, we're doing a good job. Yeah. And just to, to sort of wrap it up, I mean, now uh, we really, you know, first and foremost, again, thanking Peter for coming on. And I think we're, we're going to continue to line up here, a good variation of content, whether that's a, a kind of full on CPL um, tournament preview, more discussion of the Vancouver Whitecaps as things become a little more clear in terms of their return to play plan. And then also continuing on the men's national team talk as, you know, as as, exactly as, as developments come down the pipeline, we will be continuing to cover them. So I'm looking forward to doing that with you, Alex. And yeah, as always, you can find me at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter and at 86forever.com and shout out to one of our writers Luis who recently put out a piece very kind of in the same vein as what we talked about in these past two episodes the new format kind of what to expect from this next year and a half and so uh, check that out if you haven't already yeah and I guess kind of before I shut myself out I do 
feel like it's important i mentioned with the women's national team we haven't mm -hmm. talked about them much lately i do feel like it's important to shout out the nwsl for pulling off a really successful challenge cup with a lot of can wnt performers who stood out you know i think caitlin sheridan on sky blue you know heck sophie schmidt was huge for the winning houston dash and a lot of great players across the board obviously i do have my issues with how the tournament was maybe put on broadcast because you know the whole agreement with cbs only putting two games it was you know tsn or sportsnet frankly should have stepped up and it frustrates me because tsn had games last year and i watched i got to watch nwsl and i you know i appreciated watching i just feel like they should be more accessible in canada than having to buy some you know streaming service i mean that's good to buy streaming service and you know whatnot i just felt like for casual fans and trying to grow the game that's maybe not the way they should go and i say the same thing about the cpl and other growing leagues so i do think that's certainly a, a, an item of contention but for the tournament itself it went off without a hitch there were a lot of incredible games and highlights and players and you know hopefully the nwsl can make a safe return whenever but you know you can find my work on on twitter at alex gonge ruzik and uh at bts fancy on twitter btsfancy.com lots of stats coming up by the time this second part is out the my Derek cornelius article have long been up on uh on BTS Fan City. So if you want to see why I think Derek Cornelius can be useful for the Whitecaps, check that out. Harmless little plug. And I'll have some Canada stuff, CPL stuff, Whitecap stuff, you name it. None of that note. Take care, everybody. We'll catch you for episode number 32. Thanks for listening.